0: Listener-supported, WNYC Studios.
1: Previously on The Season.
2: We're tremendously impressed with their defense and just their team overall. Obviously a much-improved team. It just really
1: blows for the seniors because once the record starts showing how good we are, we're not going to be here.
2: We certainly haven't been the prettiest team. We haven't been the sexiest team but the kids have given us great effort, and they've played hard. And so I've got the tremendous amount of respect for our kids because they're giving us everything they have. And so when the game's over, there's not much left in their gas tank.
3: The end is near, the end of this football season, and for most of those Lions who are seniors, it's the end of their football careers. What remains... Well, Al Bagnoli will probably be here for several more years. And on warm fall afternoons, the hills of northern Manhattan will resonate with this sound. But the voices will be different. And so for the seniors who are so accustomed to losing and who have tasted victory twice this fall and become hungry for it, the last two games matter so much. This is their final chance to prove it's a turnaround. Now they face Cornell in Ithaca, named for the island where Odysseus ends his hero's journey. Cornell is the only team that's lower ranked than Columbia. They haven't won a game since one year ago when they beat Columbia. And today, if you're a Lion, it's tempting to be cocky. Harvard's coach praised Columbia lavishly last week. On a blog about the Lions, the headline is, expect victory. But Coach Bagnoli's message to the team is different. It comes in the form of a warning.
2: Let's not play down now to our opponents. Okay, you've played up three pretty good teams. All right, let's not play down to the last two teams.
3: The Lions have played big, physical ball three games in a row against three tough opponents. They beat Yale. But the next opponent, Cornell, is weak, which is its own kind of threat.
2: Because you know how desperate you guys were? That's how desperate they are. And it's their last game. And it's their seniors' last game on that field. So you're going to face a team that has a tremendous sense of desperation.
3: As coach is describing this, I'm picturing a playground fight between the two puniest boys in the class.
2: I keep trying to tell you, nothing is easy in this league. Nothing is easy. And the second you think you've arrived, it comes back and it bites you in the rear end.
3: Don't blow this, coach says. Play like the team that beat Yale not the team that Penn walked all over. Hello and welcome to this season. I'm Ilya Meritz. This episode, institutional memory. Seniors like Cam and Hunter and Chad may feel they are the life and soul of the Lions. But next year, a different bunch of guys will be leaders of the team. And Al Bagnoli is here for something bigger. His job, turning around the team, will take years. He's always said that. Everyone says that. This episode will also spend some time with the Lions' shadow. Did you know the Lions have a shadow? A very loud, merry shadow, a group of troubadours who follow the football team everywhere they go, and who have their own traditions. It's the Columbia University Marching Band, and they have a very different concept of what winning means. But first, we need to talk the long game. This has been playing out mostly out of sight all fall. A couple weeks ago, word went out that Coach Bagnoli and the athletics department have doubled their fundraising target for football. They're also raising money to build an inflatable bubble over Kraft Field so the Lions can practice there in cold weather. That's $5 million or more right there. And in between practices and games, assistant coach John Poppy has been working the phones, sending emails, trying to sweet-talk the next generation of Lions, high school seniors.
0: And After practice, late at night, after we're watching film, We'll get on the phone with recruits, see how their previous game went, You know what their recruiting process is right now, who's involved, is their application in, just talking them through the process. Are we bringing them out for an official visit December, January?
3: The way he describes it, it's kind of like dating or maybe even flirting. Here are John Poppy's requirements. The guy needs to have good grades. There are no athletic scholarships here. But he also needs to have muscle. And a little something special, something to get Poppy excited.
0: We want a guy that loves football, uh, a guy that wants to exceed in everything he does. So a true overachiever in the sense of the word.
3: So let's do some math. The Columbia football team includes about 100 players. That means they need to bring in 30 or 35 freshmen each year, accounting for the ones who will eventually quit the team. People who have studied admissions at elite colleges say athletes do get preference. And it makes sense. You need to fill out the team every year, no matter what. What really interests me is how you pitch a team like Columbia with a losing record. How do you get the guy who is thinking of Harvard to come here? NCAA rules make it pretty much impossible for us to observe recruitment. So let's try this hypothetical. I'm a player you want, as hard as that is to believe. I'm 38 years old and I weigh 135 (laughs) pounds. But I'm a player that you want. Pitch me.
0: Bottom line, the answer is elite degree in New York City. And what more could could you want and a chance to be a part of, of history here? And Coach Bagnoli told our team in the spring how rare it is to have an opportunity to make history. And at Columbia, with this football program, you have a chance to be a part of that. So it's special.
1: Can I jump in here? Absolutely. Matt Collette, producer of this podcast. It's a good pitch, right? Be the change. Be part of rebuilding this team. Totally. I'd buy that. This is the same pitch Columbia has been making for years. We talked earlier this season with Javier Loya, who's a businessman in Texas now, but years ago he was part of the team that broke the forty-four game no-win streak in nineteen eighty-eight.
2: My recruiting coordinator at that point, Coach Dave Barton, had challenged me and said, "Hey, you know, you can be you can be part of history. You can be part of the team that that changes uh, the culture here, and we become winners. And and when you do, that's going to be that's going to differentiate." You from, you know, the hundred or so years that we've played college football. In a
1: way, it's the only pitch a school like Columbia can make, and they've just kept using it. Here's defensive back Travis Rhyme, now a senior. What brought you to Columbia?
3: Football and academics, of course, but mainly football. But what about what about Columbia football? You could have played other places. I don't know. Was, I, I was I was drawn in by the uh, the chance to to turn this thing around as, in, as everyone else was and you know when, when I came on my official visit it was my first time in the, in New York City and I fell in love with it, it was nice you know. it seemed like a perfect fit. Be part of the rebuild and enjoy New York City it's what coaches are telling next year's crop of players and the pessimist within me imagines it's what they'll be telling players 5, 10, 20 years from now too. That idea of turning around a team though It actually means very little to a
1: group of people who are at every single game the Lions play. At away games, they're often the only students in the Columbia section. The Columbia University Marching Band. I don't know the precise origin of marching bands, but surely it had to be to give their team encouragement. But years ago, the Columbia Band went off in a different direction. If Columbia football was going to be a joke, well, these guys were going to be the ones laughing. Let's just admit it, this band is not particularly great at either marching or playing music. But oddly, they're proud of this. Here's them playing the school's fight song, which they probably perform more than anything else. Here's Ruth Hollander, a junior who plays the bass drum.
3: We're not the, the best band in the world or the most courteous band in the world. We're, we're the cleverest band in the world. Um, and that we, we take that really seriously.
1: Their field shows skewer whatever team Columbia is playing. And often Columbia, too. After a touchdown, they'll thrust their hips and shout that they're insatiable for more points. Parents with young kids will sometimes move seats after that happens. They've been banned from performing at West Point, Fordham, Even once, a few years back, from Columbia. Matt, you've been itching to do this story about the band since before we started this podcast. That's very true. And part of it is because I feel a lot of kinship with these guys. I was in the marching band back in high school. I played the clarinet. And even though I was at pretty much every game the Stonington Bears played, I don't remember at all how they did. That just wasn't really the point of being there. I think if I went to Columbia, I very well could have wound up in the band myself. It's this place where nerds and introverts find this other side of themselves.
3: And that weirdly sounds a bit like the reason that a lot of lions give when you ask why they play football. In real life, you're not supposed to beat people up. In football, go right ahead. It's expected. You can be this other you. Exactly.
1: Take Ruth. She's loud and outgoing and super enthusiastic the whole way through every game. But this extroverted personality... She says she's not like that most of the time.
3: No, <laughs> just in band. I'm actually, like, outside of band, a really quiet person. Um, but in band, I'll, like, yell all the cheers. I know all the words to all the songs. Um, but in my private life, I'm, like, more of, like, a just hanging out, doing some relaxing things, watching TV with my friends. But, like, this is, this is different. This is my, like, getting out all of my ya-ya's.
1: This is the Cornell band. And as you could hear, they could not be any more different. We first bought them as we're driving onto campus. Dozens and dozens of musicians, all in bright red uniforms, are marching toward
3: the football stadium. Two tuba players block traffic at a crosswalk. Headline, you're leaving the real world and entering the college football bubble. The latest news, all of the troubles in the world. Really, anything that isn't football doesn't matter, at least for a couple hours. The band moves precisely, making elaborate
1: shapes out of human-sized pixels. While playing a suite of music from the Lord of the Rings movies, they've somehow transformed an ordinary football field into Middle-earth. So they're still nerds, just really well-rehearsed ones. Then there's Columbia's band. They spend the first minute or so of their field show just running around midfield like crazy. But Mike Klementov, the band's poet laureate, says this is how you win a face-off between Ivy League bands. If you've ever watched The Lion King, there's this
0: amazing scene where the hyenas are marching and Scar is singing. And it's a lot like that where the Cornell band, they're the hyenas. uh,
1: And they're basically like mindless drones doing whatever Cornell tells them to do.
0: The band now presents an all-star gala halftime salute to Shia
1: LaBeouf's three-day reverse chronological Shia LaBeouf movie marathon.
3: I'm just going to channel the thought that anyone on the football team had long ago whenever they first saw the band. What is this? Why are these people here? Well, Columbia had written a whole
1: show making fun of Cornell. But Cornell's athletics department rejected their entire script. They didn't let anything get through. So rather than try to get a watered-down script past the censor, the band just got weird. Hence, a halftime show about actor Shia LaBeouf, a guy with zero Cornell connections. At the end of the performance, Mike tells anybody with complaints to talk to the Cornell Athletics Department. Which cut her entire first script. Apparently, they can take a joke about as well as I can take an exam, which, judging by my GPA, is not very well. Thanks, Cornell. The same way freshman players learn how to be a lion, communal dinners, living together in the dorms, all that stuff, the band, too, runs largely on institutional memory. Everything its members know is what's been passed down from the class before, and a lot of it is just oral tradition. You play a fanfare during first downs, for example, or you do push-ups and pelvic thrusts after the team scores. But this game, actually, there isn't much for the band to do.
3: Yeah, this is a terrible game. Here's what's happened. On Cornell's very first possession, they score a field goal. And ever since then, it's been unsatisfying football. Lots of pile-ups, very few big plays. Neither team is able to get close to the end zones, and even the sports photographer from the Columbia Spectator is pissed there are no good photos to be had from this kind of play. Maybe pitting the two weakest teams in the league against each other isn't such a great idea. At the half, Cornell is still up 3-zip, and I catch up with one of the Lions' dads, Mark Pacoon, father of sophomore offensive lineman Markham Pacoon. He flew up from Fort Worth.
0: We just look flat. We just look real flat, which is disappointing. I was hoping we would be on a roll right now, but we're just not converting enough first downs and getting in the red zone. That's that's That seems to me, but I don't know how to do it.
3: <laughs> no one seems to have an answer. In the second half, both Columbia quarterbacks, Skyler Mornenweg and Anders Hill, throw interceptions, and now they're playing cautious. They keep making the same predictable play, handing off to the running back, Cam Molina, who gets maybe two yards here, or five yards there, before he finds himself at the bottom of the pile. It's hard to get to the end zone this way. I head up to the press box, or actually the roof of the press box, because this is where Cornell has sent the student broadcasters, Kristen Brundage and Dante Guarneri from WKCR. They're doing live play-by-play on the radio while taking gusts of wind in the face. Something has got to change. The offense has got to do something, take advantage of
0: these opportunities. Are they able to finish off drives? Are they able to get one big play that'll open it up for them?
3: Columbia only needs to add three points to tie the game. And then something does happen. The line for the punt. And it's it's big. a fake punt for Columbia. Cam Nides like takes it. He's going to keep it. He reaches out for the first down. He's got it. The last time the Lions tried to move like this was at Yale, and it worked. And it looks like they're still questioning the spot here, but it seemed to me as if that was enough for a first down. Today, it doesn't work. This is heartbreaking. I want the Lions to be rewarded for playing bold, but the officials rule it's just short of a first down, and as if to smother Columbia's hopes, the Cornell band gleefully strikes up a tune. Could this be a shutout? Could the other puny boy in the playground really win this fight? This is one that we thought would go a lot differently for this Columbia team. What happened to the team that got not one but two late-game touchdowns against Harvard last week? And then quarterback Anders Hill makes a run for it. He's got pressure. He's going to roll it out to his left, across the five, diving for the end zone, and he's in. But an official has thrown a penalty flag, holding, and the touchdown gets called back. It's no good. It ends in a field goal attempt, and the ball flies off in the direction of Syracuse. All through this game, Coach Bagnoli has been pacing the sidelines, arguing with refs in a state of permanent exasperation. The assistant coaches, who you can usually depend on for pep, they've gone quiet. As the final minutes tick down, it's Cornell 3. Columbia nothing. The Cornell Big Red take the Empire State Bowl for the third straight year from the Columbia Lions. And we'll meet back up next year at Weems for Columbia to try to retake it. And Coach's words to the team a few days earlier now seem prophetic. Let's not play down to our opponents.
2: Obviously, we're all very disappointed.
3: Coach says almost these exact words at every loss. But this time feels different.
2: I just, I've been trying to tell them all week, and I knew we were going to go and face a desperate team. And we knew it was going to be some weather issues and a desperate team. And uh, I'm just not sure I've done a good enough job conveying those sentiments throughout the week because it was obvious we weren't ready to play, especially on the offensive side of the ball. So, you know, that's on me, Uh, but uh, just very disappointed. I thought we took a step backwards just when I think, you know, we can get some traction and some consistency. Uh, We managed to take a step backwards
3: coach says this is on him, and yeah, he's the captain of this ship. But I think he made himself pretty clear. This disastrous game, it makes me think the Lions still have something to learn about mental toughness. I don't know why the Lions play well against strong teams and badly against weak ones, and I don't think they do either. And this is weird and honestly tragic. In this game, running back Cam Molina, a senior, picked up 151 yards, a career high. He should be celebrating. Instead, he looks glum.
2: Have you ever been in a game like that before? Uh,
3: uh, Not since I've been in college, Um, but I mean, you know, it's one thing to be able to run the ball uh, and, you know, I mean, keep our offense moving, but we didn't make critical plays and critical points in the game, and uh, obviously, and we had critical penalties at critical points in the game. So, um, I mean, I'm I'm great to hear that I had a great game, but uh, this one hurt. Uh, overall and everything, I'd say we we play for the win. So, I mean, it's... My personal stats really don't mean much to me right now. Is it possible to imagine a Columbia football team that wins games consistently? At least one
1: person did. The band's drum major, Ron Brown. He was used to seeing the Lions as a joke, but he started to believe things were different this year, which makes this loss sting.
0: Normally, I I told a company line for the football team, but this was pathetic. (laughs) Turns
1: out... Even the cleverest band in the world can feel disappointed. But not for long. We, we go out and we do what we do every game. And it's just been, the fact is, nobody's been better than us. It's, I don't know if they're trying or not, but every week it's just been, wow, we beat them too. Mm. Our football team could uh, could take an example. <laughs> Zing. Ron's a senior and an Air Force veteran, so he's older than the rest of the band. And this was actually his last game as drum major. He'll pass the baton before the last game of the season. And yes, there's literally a silver baton. But right now, it's still his job
3: to make sure the band plays on. I think it's possible to imagine a Columbia football team that does win consistently. But you also need to know, it's likely they're going to break your heart. Next time on This Season... We're back in New York, where the Lions face Brown for the final game of 2015, and seniors are preparing for life after football.
2: Let's end the season on a great note. Let's send the seniors out on a great note. Let's get great momentum into the offseason.
3: You want to be there? It's Friday night, November 20th, 7.30 p.m., Robert Kraft Field in Uptown Manhattan. Also, it's the last episode of this podcast. We upload Wednesday afternoon for your pre-Thanksgiving listening pleasure. The Season is produced by Matt Collette and engineered by Casey Means. We're edited by Karen Frillman with Charlie Herman and Sean Bowditch. Jim Schachter is WNYC's vice president for news. We had help this week from Simon Lehrer. A lot of the music you heard was from the Columbia University marching band. I'm Ilya Meritz. Thank you for listening. What does it take to make yourself heard at a football game? Ask Satirius Johnson, WNYC's Morning Edition host. He played wind chimes in the Columbia Band back in the late 80s.
1: I would hold them up and maybe shake them a little bit if the wind wasn't cooperating, or if it was a very exciting point in the game, I might shake them very vigorously, and it made a very, you know, very kind of uh, jingly, bamboo kind of percussive noise.
3: Can you remember the words? If I say, um, roar, lion, roar, what comes next? Wait, okay, so, oh, man.
1: Fitness, roar, lion roar, but um, but um, but um, but um, bump I can't remember the word. I have Knickerbockers is in there. Hudson Valley is in there. Uh, we own New York. That's a different one. I think we own New York is a different one. Yeah, I don't remember. You know, I'm. You know, I. You know, I. I
3: wake up so early that my memory is slowly fading away into the ether. The band currently has an opening for a wind chime player.